My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to the 10th and final episode of Season 5 of the 21st Century Creative. Today, I have a great interview with Michael Bungay-Stania, a returning guest whose interview way back in Season 1 proved to be very popular. And his book, The Coaching Habit, turned out to be even more popular as it went on to sell three quarters of a million copies. So, Michael is clearly an author worth reading, and he's back today with some excellent advice on avoiding the advice trap. And yes, as he says in the interview, he does appreciate the irony of that proposition. And he has some very creative ways to share with us on how to become a less frustrated and a more effective communicator. Now, the mathematicians in the audience will have realised that today is episode 50 of the podcast, which means the 21st century creative has already reached a half century. So, if I were playing cricket and I'd scored 50 runs, this would be the moment where I would doff my cap and raise my cricket bat to salute the four corners of the ground and the spectators would lift their hands from their warm beer and sandwiches to give me a gentle ripple of applause. I've never got anywhere close to 50 runs in cricket, so it feels extra special to reach 50 episodes of the podcast. I set out to make a show that would bring you inspiration, encouragement, and practical advice on succeeding as a 21st century creative. And when I look back, I do feel proud of what we've achieved so far. It feels like we've made a good start. I say we because it's been very much a team effort to get here. I'd like to start by thanking my guests who have taught us all so much over the past 50 episodes. They've been incredibly generous in sharing their stories and their hard-won wisdom for the benefit of the rest of us. And I've personally learned a lot from talking to them. One of my favourite things about this podcast is the occasional moment of surprise in an interview, when my guest comes out with something I didn't expect, and sometimes something they didn't expect or hadn't realised until that moment. It's a magical thing when an insight emerges from a conversation, and it's been a privilege to share so many of these moments with you. Next, I would like to thank the 21st Century Creative Team starting with Javier Weyler and Alejandro Lovera at Breaking Waves for the music and sound production for the show. It's a point of pride for me that so many listeners tell me how impressed they are with the production values of the show, and the credit for that is entirely down to Javier and Alejandro. Next, I'd like to thank Irene Hoffman, who created the logo and the identity for the show, and who has recently adapted it so beautifully for the cover and book design for the companion book to the podcast, 21 Insights for 21st Century Creatives, which is now available in a very handsome print edition. Thank you also to Alexandra Amor for editing the interview transcripts for each episode. These are really important for accessibility, and also for those listeners who are not listeners but readers because there's a hard core of 21st century creatives who tell me they never listen to the show, but they read every word of the transcripts. Last, and by no means least, I want to thank you for listening and making all of this worthwhile. It never grows old to get an email or a tweet or a review, or to meet one of you in person and to hear how the show has helped and inspired you in your journey as a creative. And did you realise, even by just listening to the show, you're supporting it? Because every download counts in the iTunes charts, so the more episodes you listen to, the higher you nudge the show, and the more visible it becomes to other creatives like you. 
If you want to go further than that, it's always terrifically helpful when you tell your friends and followers about the show, or leave a rating on iTunes, or even leaving a review. And this season, we've also introduced a new way you can get more help for your creative career, while also supporting the show on Patreon. So a special thank you to all of you who joined the 21st Century Creative Patreon group, where we have been on quite the journey during the season, sharing our goals for the 10 weeks and our progress along the way. We also had some great Q&A sessions where I've answered members' questions about their creativity, their motivation and mindset, and their career and business challenges. The whole process of working with the Patreon group has really added an extra dimension to the season, and it's great to hear from the members it's doing the same for them too. I really feel it's made the 21st century creative more of a two-way conversation and even a collaboration, rather than just having me broadcasting the show out. Between now and the start of season six, I will continue to update the Patreon group with occasional videos about what I'm up to letting you know about progress on the new season, as well as tips and techniques and book recommendations. And as you only pay a fee when I release an actual episode of the podcast, then you'll basically be getting all that content for free between now and the start of Season 6. So, if you want to join the Patreon group and get a little bit of the 21st Century Creative between now and next season, and then continue for the group coaching experience in Season 6, then go to patreon.com slash the 21st century creative. Speaking of season six, I'm already thinking about the guest list and topics for the new season. And one thing's for sure, I want to make it really helpful and relevant to the challenges that you face in a post-COVID world. Like all of us, I'm hoping the scientist creativity will offer us better medical options by the time we get to the new season. But Wherever we're at in terms of the virus, we will all be travelling through a changed landscape. And I really want to help you address the challenges of the so-called new normal. So make sure you are subscribed to the show in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you find yourself impatient to know what's going on behind the scenes and when the new season will be coming, then the Patreon group will be the first to know. In the meanwhile, my coaching practice remains open, so if you are an experienced creative and you want to make big changes to your creative work, your career, or your business, then go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching questions and answer the questions on that page. And I'll be in touch with you once I've read through your answers. And we are not finished yet with season five. Coming up shortly is the interview with Michael Bungay Stania about avoiding the advice trap. And before that, I want to issue a warning that will hopefully prevent your next brilliant idea from vanishing into thin air. Ideas are leprechauns. Last night, I was about to go to bed when I suddenly remembered an idea I'd had for an article a few months ago. Though I say so myself, it was a great idea, and I was keen to revisit it, so I opened up the Scrivener project where I'd written it down and found nothing. At first, I couldn't believe it. I'd had the idea walking back from taking my kids to school, and I could swear I remembered writing it down in detail afterwards but I couldn't find it anywhere in my Scrivener files. So I realised with horror that I hadn't written it down at all. In a growing panic, I grabbed some paper and wrote down everything I could remember about the article. But it slipped through my fingers. I got the basic idea down, but I knew there were some important twists in my argument, not to mention elegant turns of phrase, that were as clear as day when it first occurred to me which had now vanished forever. Then the first thing this morning, I woke up and I had a rush of hope. I looked in Evernote instead of Scrivener, and there it was, a photo of two whole pages of handwritten notes, laying out the idea in detail. 
I had indeed written the idea out as soon as I got home, but I'd done it in my notebook and saved a photo of it to Evernote instead of typing it into Scrivener. So the idea was there in all its glory and in minute detail. I could have kissed my phone in gratitude. Now, this experience brought home to me something I've been saying to coaching clients for months. Ideas are leprechauns. If you take your eye off them for a moment, you can lose them forever. In case you're wondering, a leprechaun is a kind of fairy in Irish folklore. It's usually portrayed as a twee little man in green clothes and a big hat. But originally, it may well have been one of the Tuatha de Danann, the ancient gods of pre-Christian Ireland. According to legend, if you see a leprechaun and catch him, he has to grant you three wishes in return for his freedom. He's also supposed to have a pot of gold that he keeps at the end of the rainbow, so most people spend one of their wishes on getting the pot of gold. Do you see why ideas are leprechauns? A good idea opens up new possibilities for you, which is the equivalent of having a few wishes. And if the stories about the pot of gold are true, then maybe your good idea could even make you rich. There are no guarantees, of course, The old legends are full of people whose wishes had unexpected consequences. So you need to use your ideas or your wishes wisely. But if you want to have any chance at all of your wishes coming true, you've got to bear in mind something else about the leprechaun. Once you catch him, you must never take your eyes off him, even for a split second. Otherwise, he will disappear along with all your wishes and the pot of gold. So next time a brilliant idea pops into your mind, as if by magic, don't take your eyes off it, even for a moment. Write it down right away in as much detail as you can. Or draw it, or record a voice note, or however else you capture ideas. And put it somewhere safe, straight away. Whatever you do, don't trust your memory. You see, I hadn't thought of my brilliant idea for months, And when it did finally occur to me again, I only managed to recapture the bare bones of it. The memory had faded so much that I knew the article wouldn't have been any good. There was almost no point even trying. And make sure you put it somewhere safe. I mean, right now, I couldn't tell you where the notebook is that contains those precious two pages of notes. I've got several notebooks and they all look the same. Maybe it's in the cupboard in my office, or it might be in my briefcase, or possibly it's the notebook in the pile of books by my bed. But I knew exactly where to look in Evernote, a folder I have for capturing new ideas. And that's where it was, because the instant I finished scribbling my notes, I took a photo of the pages and saved them to Evernote, which means they're there for me in the cloud whenever I want to consult them. So, if you want to have your creative wishes come true, and maybe even get your hands on the pot of gold someday, I suggest you don't take your eye off the leprechaun for a moment until you've recorded your idea and put it somewhere safe. If you're enjoying the 21st Century Creative, you may like to know there is more to this podcast than meets the ear. To help you succeed in your creative career or business, I've created an in-depth program, the 21st Century Creative Foundation Course. It covers the personal and professional skills you'll need to succeed as a creative professional in the 21st century. In other words, the stuff they probably didn't teach you at art school on your creative writing masters, or wherever else you learned your craft. Things like how to manage your time, how to communicate your ideas, how to handle difficult conversations, how to close a sale, how to deal with money, how to grow your network, and how to attract an audience for your work. Altogether, there are 26 lessons in the course, full of practical advice, 
plus a worksheet for each one to help you put the ideas into practice. And I'm giving you the entire course for free. In case you can't quite believe your ears, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course and see for yourself. When you get there, you can sign up with just an email address and you'll get your first lesson right away. By the way, the course has already been taken by over 11,000 students. And on the sign-up page, you'll see lots of testimonials from other creatives whose lives and careers have been changed by the course. You can join them right now for free by going to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. Michael Bungay Stania was one of the very first guests here on the 21st Century Creative, way back in season one, when he shared insights on how to be a better leader for your creative team, based on his book, The Coaching Habit. In turn, that book was based on the many years that Michael and his team at Box of Crayons have spent helping companies to use coaching to transform their culture and unleash the creativity of their employees. Michael had published The Coaching Habit himself, having failed to convince a string of publishers to take it on. Well, there must have been plenty of wailing and grinding of teeth in the offices of those publishers when the book went on to sell over three quarters of a million copies. It's now firmly established as a modern management classic, and it's one of the books I buy regularly for my coaching clients who are creative directors or agency owners, because it does a brilliant job of boiling coaching skills down into seven core questions you can use in your day-to-day work with your team. Michael's now followed up with a new book, The Advice Trap. Be humble, stay curious, and change the way you lead forever. In this one, he tackles one of the biggest obstacles we all face when we try to help someone else, the advice monster. This is the part of us that can't resist jumping in and offering well-intentioned advice before we've really understood the problem, and, and the part of us that is oblivious to the effect it can have on the person we're supposed to be helping. In this conversation, Michael explains why the advice monster is such a problem and how it not only disempowers and demotivates people around us, it also creates stress and overload for us too. So, if you're the leader of a creative team, you'll find this interview an invaluable source of insight and practical advice on getting out of your own way in order to serve your team better. And even if you're not in an official leadership position, you'll gain some important insights into how to change a habit that no longer serves you. And Michael's words may also help you discover more opportunities than you previously noticed to step forward and lead people in a more creative direction. Michael, welcome back to the show. Mark, it is always a pleasure to hear your mellifluous British accent echoing in my ears. (laughs) Great. So (laughs) last time we spoke, it was way back in season one of the 21st Century Creative. And we were then talking about your book, The Coaching Habit, which is a, a great guide for leaders on how to use coaching as a as a way of leadership, a style of management. And it's particularly good, as we focused on in that conversation, at unleashing the creativity in their teams. And you have a new book out now, The Advice Trap, which zooms in on one topic that we touched on in that previous conversation, and that is the pitfalls of giving advice. So why pick this topic for the new book? It's a a lovely question. Perfect start for me. So thanks, Mark. So The Coaching Habit, was as amazing success as a book. And, you know, with this audience who are people who create, who engage in that work, they'll perhaps appreciate this more than some other audiences. I self-published the book, The Coaching Habit, after spending three or four years trying to get a publishing house to be interested in it. 
and I just couldn't. And eventually I got to this point where she was like, okay, I'm doing it myself. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. <sighs> and the book's gone on and it's you know, hit bestseller list and it's sold close to three quarters of a million copies now. It's really wow. been this phenomena that is both thrilling and slightly daunting. <laughs> and I get a lot of emails of people going, this has been a book that's changed my way to thinking about leadership. It's it's demystified this whole idea of what coaching is because it's not some sort of weird black box thing. It's actually how do you sustain your yeah. curiosity? Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, for all those emails of people I'm getting, getting that are people being very enthusiastic, there's part of me that knows of the 750,000 copies out in the world that has not shifted everybody's behavior. And uh-huh. what I wanted to do is write a, a companion book that went a little deeper into what does it actually take to change your behavior to stay curious a little bit longer. In The Coaching Habit, we start off with the first chapter, which is about habit building, and that's a really useful science-based approach to behavior change. Yeah. But it's often not enough. It's not enough just to know the, the science and the process of building habits. You've got to go a little deeper, for some of us anyway, to think about changing our behavior. And that's what I was trying to do with this book. So it's a it's a denser book. It's still hopefully got a lightness and a humor to it and a practicality to it. But it tackles a, a trickier subject, which is how do you change your behavior when changing your behavior is hard. I mean, we're recording this now, Mark, in early January. So there's a whole New Year's resolution thing that's just happened. Uh We've all had that moment where you've gone, here's my New Year's resolution. This year, for sure, I am going to write the book, call my mother, love my kids, go to the gym, eat less bread, eat more vegetables, all of that sort of stuff. And we keep falling off that train. Um, and this book gets into some of the kind of mechanics around how do you change your behavior when it's more than just expressing a good intention. Great. And and before we get into the, the how-to, because you've got some really great ideas on this, I really want to just home in on, well, what is the advice trap and why should I avoid it? And it, who we're speaking to really today is somebody who has got responsibility for leading a team. And right. with the audience of this podcast, it will be a creative team of some kind, maybe a creative director sure. or, um, you know, but someone who's got that role to inspire and get the best out of people. And I'm also thinking this is like to be a, a highly creative person in their own right, because it's usually the senior right. creative who gets promoted to be creative director and so on. So what, right. what exactly. is this advice, advice trap of which you speak? Yeah. So um, the starting point is to say that, look, this is not Michael saying never give advice or all advice is bad, because obviously that's a ludicrous statement. Right. Um, and if you think that that's what I'm trying to, to push here, then we all lose. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem isn't advice. The problem is when giving advice becomes your default mode. Right. It is your kind of deep ingrained way of reacting to most situations. And for most of us, that's what we have. Somebody starts talking, and even though they're telling you about a complex situation involving people you don't really know in a, in a context you don't fully understand, involving technical specifications that you don't entirely grasp, after about 10 seconds, you're like, I think I've got some initial ideas on what you should be doing here. Mm-hmm. What kills us? is the advice-giving habit, that default response that when somebody starts training, talking, I tend to jump in and start trying to offer up ideas, suggestions, opinions, solutions, all of that sort of stuff. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how does it shift? How do we shift that habit that doesn't serve us? And it doesn't serve us in three different ways. The first is that so often we are trying to solve the wrong problem because we get seduced into thinking that the first challenge that shows up is the real challenge. And truthfully, it almost never is. And, you know, this is such an important discipline for creatives and leaders of creatives. Um, And secretly in my heart, I'm like, but surely you people, (laughs) you know not to fall for that old trick of thinking that the first thing is the real thing. But the truth is we all fall for it. We fall for it all the time. So that's the first of three reasons Mm -hmm. why advice giving as a default reaction is not that useful. Here's a second reason. 
your advice is not nearly as good as you think it is. And <laughs> part of you knows this because you think of all the advice you get offered on a regular basis, all the solutions that get presented to you and how little you think of them and how little you take those up. Well, the, the same is true about you. And if you doubt me, there's a thousand TED videos on cognitive biases that just show how bad our advice typically is, particularly if we think our advice is actually good most of the time. So that's the first two. So here you're, you know, you're merely just wasting people's time and life and resources and energy. But the third piece goes a little deeper and it cuts both ways. If you are on the con constant end of a stream of advice and stream of solutions, you are getting a message that you're not good enough to solve this and fix this by yourself, that you don't have the chops. And in fact, you're being trained to be kind of, you know, dependent yeah. and useless. So if you're that leader, you're actually training people to be overly dependent and less creative and autonomous and sufficient, uh, self-sufficient and, and, and than that they might be. But there's a price you pay if you are the advice giver all the time. Because, you know, put aside for a moment your disempowering behavior and put aside for a moment that you're becoming a bottleneck to your own team. That weight you carry, that responsibility of needing to have all the answers, to have the solutions, to be to save everybody, to save the situation is overwhelming and exhausting and frustrating. So really, it's it having like I say, advice itself is not bad per se, but having this advice giving habit, A G H R, yeah, <laughs> advice giving habit is what can really drag you down. Well, that's a great summary, Michael, of the the hidden downside, really, because in the moment it's so tempting, isn't it? Particularly if you're like you or me, who habitually oh, sure. come up with brilliant ideas, at least. <laughs> of course, our, our ideas it's are so brilliant. It's so easy when, when you're in the, you get that rush of enthusiasm and you think, oh, this is how I would do it. And particularly, uh -huh. uh, certainly in my experience, and I'm sure you've encountered this too, if you're dealing with, say, a creative director or somebody who has been rewarded and promoted for being the best creative in the room in many points yeah. in their career, that idea generally are pretty good. Right. But there's two of the things that you've, you've really hit on. One, even if your idea is above average, and you know, let's go with the cognitive bias for a moment, <laughs> A, you're still disempowering your team. You're teaching them right. you're not good enough and you're never going to be as good as I am. Right. And also there's that weight of pressure which actually doesn't make anyone any more creative beyond a certain point. If everyone's looking to you all the time, you don't have to be an egomaniac. I think it helps. I mean, we've all come across leaders who are yeah. love to see themselves as the fount of all wisdom and, and creativity. But, but even if you're not, it's, it's, sure. there is a natural temptation to think, well, gosh, if I'm responsible for the creative team, I've got to help come up with the ideas. But what I'm hearing from you is it's, it's really that you're there to help the team come up with better ideas and, yeah. and for them to perform better, even if they might do it differently to you. Exactly. I mean, if you reframe your job as my job isn't to have the great ideas, my job is to make sure that we're working on the right challenges. Honestly, what, trying to figure out what the real challenge is, is a much more nuanced, strategic, tricky uh -huh. challenge and if you were willing to take that on going i'm going to make sure that what we're working on is the stuff that matters that's a much more powerful leadership stance than to be the person who goes look i can come up with faster better or often not so good ideas that that keeps me reliving past glories and disempowers my own team i mean mark i i saw alan malali speak um about a year ago if you don't know that name, he was the CEO of Ford, the first CEO of Ford that wasn't a um, somebody of the Ford family. And right. they resorted to hiring him because at the time Ford was in free fall. They were losing, I think it was like four, $4 billion a year. Maybe it was more than that. It was it was just this vast amount of money, so vast I can barely get my head around. <laughs> yeah, enough to make them prioritize it. 
Yeah, enough to go, look, we're, we're a crisis here. If we don't stop the bleeding, we die as a company. And um, Malali, when he talks about um, assuming this leadership position, every week they'd have their kind of weekly check-in and he'd have his all of his key direct reports and their direct reports in a room. And they'd go through each one of the key drivers of success for for. Um, for four, it's part of the kind of strategic plan. And it was a simple process. It's like green if things were going well, yellow if um, uh, you could see some potential flaws coming, and red if things had kind of gone off the rails. And the first time he does it, it's green across the board. He says nothing. Second time he does it, it's green across the board. Uh-huh. And bear in mind, this is a company that's losing a billion dollars a week. Okay, right. third time he does that, it's green across the board, and he's like, "Oh, this is curious because you know, if things are going so well, why are things going so badly?" <laughs> yeah, I'd hate to see it when they're going badly. And, and finally, he got to a point where somebody put up something that was orange or yellow, and he was like, "Brilliant!" And what he didn't do, which is what people expected him to do, was to to leap in and go. And here's how we're going to fix this. Yeah. And can you imagine? I mean, if there's ever a temptation to try and fix something, it's like when your job is on the line, when your company is losing a trillion dollars. But I heard him say very specifically, he said, look, what I know is that even if, even if I have the right challenge, I know we're working on the right thing. And even if I have the very best idea, it doesn't behoove me as a leader to, to share that idea because the price I pay for having the right idea, the best idea, is too great for me, it's too great for my organization, and it's too great for my team. And I figure, you know, this is Alan Malali, CEO of an enormous company in a conservative industry who's willing to have that discipline. I think that's a discipline that should kind of echo through all of our organizations and all of our work. So you know, if you're a senior creative director or something else, it's a discipline of leadership. Isn't that a great phrase to go away and, and reflect on? The price I pay for having the best idea in the room. Right. It's it's complete opposite of what you would normally, the way you would normally look at it. Right, because here's the thing, and everybody knows this. They just hope it doesn't somehow apply to them. <laughs> when the boss has the idea the oxygen gets sucked out of the room because nobody goes, yeah, it's a pretty good idea, but we're not going to do that, yeah. boss. Yeah. Everybody goes, you know, that's actually a really great idea. I love that idea. Let me. I'm, I'm writing your idea down, boss, because I love it so much. You know what? We're just going to go with it because, you know, it's your idea. It's amazing. You're amazing. I'm amazing for working for you. And mm. um, you lose so much. So, that, again, this is just to, to come back this isn't to say that there's not a place for you having the advice or giving the solution or having the idea. It's when it becomes your default response, it becomes your advice giving habit. That's when um, the damage gets done. And what I found and what I've noticed, and you probably have seen this too, Mark, is that actually the, the more you don't give the idea, the more you realize that you don't need to give the idea. So success breeds success. Great. So tell us more about this, Michael. And maybe if we can think about what can I gain by not deliberately not having the best idea in the room or deliberately withholding my idea and, and creating a space where other people can put forward theirs. Tell us about how this approach to leadership looks. Well, let me ask you. I'm doing my coaching. I'm doing. I'm <laughs> Invite a coach on the podcast and the, you know, <laughs> the roles get reversed. It's a nightmare. <laughs> What, what, what do you see as the benefits if you're like, oh, okay, I've seen this before, I've got to kill a good idea, but rather than me offering up first, I'm just going to wait a little bit and ask them, so, hey, you know, what, what, what do you see the challenge as? What ideas do you have around this? What are the benefits that immediately come to mind for you, Mark? Well, in a way, this is easy for me because it's what I choose to do all day is, is ask questions and... right. But to me, what I love is just when a client comes up with the unexpected, mm-hmm. when they come up with something that I could never have thought of. And right. it just makes the converse, whole conversation pop. And 
it's it's empowering and it's exciting for both of us because I mean I do feel that I've made some contribution to that by asking the question, yeah. by framing exactly. the the conversation in such a way that we can focus on it. But it, it, there's a real joy for me, and this is a big reason why I'm a coach in in just seeing what somebody comes up with when you you create the opportunity. Mm. I mean, for me, it's about going. What's the bigger game we're playing here? And there's a short-term game and a longer-term game. The short-term game is getting the the solution to the problem at hand yeah. and making sure it's as good as we can make it be. The longer-term plan is building a team of people who are creative and courageous and self-sufficient and autonomous so that you're surrounded by people who you're like, these people are better than I am. It yeah. is terrifying and amazing <laughs> at the same time you know that that saying um you know a people hire a people yeah. b people hire c people yeah. um what if you were the person who built a people you're like i'm i'm you know i've just been reading uh robert greenleaf's book servant leadership and it's it's 40 years old now and it's it reads like a book that's 40 years old but the concept is so powerful, which is to say, look, your job as a leader, your primary job as a leader to, is to be of service. And everybody goes, yeah, but I think I do that. And I'm like, do you? <laughs> do you really? Um, and one of the ways of measuring it is like, are, pet, are people better off after, after you've worked with them? Yeah. And um, that willingness to say, look, the bigger game I'm playing here is to make sure that this person gets better, smarter, bolder, more courageous in the work they do. And secondarily, to make sure that we have some great ideas to solve this problem, allows you just to shift the way that you, you get this sorted to say, look, I'm not saying I'm not going to contribute my ideas to this conversation. I'm just going to see if I can stay curious a little bit longer. In fact, this is the definition that we, we write about in, in both the books, and we call it as a definition of coaching, but you don't even have to call it coaching. Just call it some sort of form of leadership, which is can you stay curious a little bit longer? Yeah. Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? And that has built into it a, a permission to give advice and a permission to get things done. It just says, can you just wait a bit? <laughs> Not, not not months, not weeks, not days. I, I would take 180 seconds, quite frankly. If people could stay curious a little bit longer, that would be a perfect start. And that, that little word just is doing a lot of work here, isn't it? Because it can be so tempting mm -hmm. to charge in. And, it, it and, and maybe this gets to the heart of what you, you talk about in the book around easy change versus hard change. Right. right. Can you, could you open that up a bit for us? Because I think sure. probably we've established this is this is a tough thing to do, and most of us do more of it than than we should do, or even than we're conscious of doing. Yeah, I, and I think that's actually the key insight, which is more than we're conscious of doing, um, because pretty much everybody who's listening to this podcast is nodding their head at the moment, going, "Yeah, well, I agree yeah. with this." <laughs> <laughs> how how come my behavior how come my behavior doesn't align with what, in theory, my belief around leadership is? And easy change and hard change, you know, this is my language, my translation of a concept I take from a leadership writer called Ron Heifetz. And Heifetz is an academic, so, you know, their work is always a little shrouded in big words rather than small words. Heifetz uh, gave me, anyway, the concept of uh, technical change versus adaptive change. Mm -hmm which I then rechristened easy change versus hard change. Um, easy change, we're all really good at. It's when you go, I need to learn this new thing. So you pick up a book or you hear a podcast or you watch a video and you start tinkering and practicing a bit and you get the hang of it, the basics pretty quickly and then you practice some more and you move from being kind of consciously incompetent to consciously competent. And you're like, okay, that's good. I, I get it. I'm pretty pretty smart at this. So, you know, anytime you get a new phone or anytime you learn a new piece of technology or whatever it might be, even anytime you go into a new restaurant, you're like, oh, I've got the hang of this. And we're, we're, we're fine at easy change. It happens all the time. 
hard change is trickier. Hard change is when the challenge seems somehow impossible for you to grasp. And we've all had this. We all have our version of what hard change looks like. Um, it's you've read all the books and you've watched all the videos and you've you've gone to the TED talk and you've you know you've done it all you can. And for some reason, it's proved elusive, that shift of behavior that you're looking for as a result of having learned this stuff. And it turns out with hard change, what's required is not just knowledge. It requires a kind of rewiring of how you think about yourself, kind of how you show up in the world. The difference, to, to make it metaphorical, easy change is like downloading an app. You're like, I need the app. You download yeah. the app. I've got the app. Hard change is I need a new operating system. And that just takes a bit more time to kind of get it loaded, get it replacing things, give you the underlying foundation that's different. And I think, and this comes back to your first question, which is like, so why did I write this book, The Advice Trap? It was the recognition that for some people, being more coach-like, in other words, staying curious a little bit longer, was easy change. They're like, oh, now I've got the seven questions right. that you talk yeah, about yeah. in the book. I've got it. This is fine. I, I, I totally know how to do this now. It's already changing my yeah. life, and I love that. But there's a bunch of us who look at the questions and go, I've read the book. I get the questions. For some reason, I still give advice all the time. Why is that so mm. hard? And hard change is what's at the heart of, or tackling hard change is what's at the heart of the advice trap book, which is to say, right, <laughs> when it requires more than you just learning a few things, what does that involve? And let's tackle that. Let's kind of wrestle with that. So what does it evolve specifically around advice? You know, if, I, if I'm if i going to hold my hand up and say, okay, I, I do do this, I'm aware of it, and I want to change, but it's hard, what can I start to do? Yeah, well, the, the, the invitation that I make in the book is to say, you know what, you need to start tackling your advice monster. Right. <laughs> um, we all have this advice monster inside us. You know, as soon as somebody starts talking to you, your advice monster kind of looms up right, out of the dark right. and goes, oh, oh, Mark, I'm going to add some value to this conversation. <laughs> Boy, am I going to add yes, some value. <laughs> yes, I am. Here, here yeah. I come. And recognizing that you've got an advice monster and that you need to tame it is kind of this sideways way into going, this is how I actually get to be curious a little bit longer. And part of the way into understanding this is to understand that the behavior you have at the moment, which we are framing as not as productive or as useful as you could be, which is the default giving advice. Yeah. There are there are benefits to that behavior. In fact, they're benefits that have served you really well in the past. So, you know, in this context, you know, when you're a creative director, it has served you really well to be the person who has the really smart ideas. That's why you got yeah. promoted. That's why you've risen in the hierarchy. That's why you have that reputation. It has served you well. It is just no longer serving you as well as you might like. And so part of what getting down to the advice monster about is understanding. And this is a phrase that I, I, I take from my friend Mark Bowden, who, you know, as an aside, has a wonderful website called Truth Plane, P-L-A-N-E. Uh, he, he talks about influence and nonverbal influence a lot. But he says, look, every choice you make has prizes and punishments. Right. And what we're doing here is we're looking at the prizes and punishments of your advice giving and inviting you to say, which one wins? <laughs> Do you think the prizes you get from being the smart person with always who has the answer outweigh the punishments, which is I disempower my team, I end up the bottleneck, I end up exhausted, yeah. I end up with impossible challenges? Because you know the, the advice monster has three personas. There's tell it. There's save it, there's control it. Tell it, look, you get to be the smart person, you get to have the advice, you get to offer the solution, but you disempower people. Save it is that sense of, look, it's my job to be responsible for everybody, to make sure nobody ever fails. So on the one hand, you get to position yourself as the superhero and you have your fingers and all these pies. On the other hand, it's like exhausting and overwhelming and you're forever stopping people from failing so you're stopping them from learning and you're stopping from people from growing 
and you carry that burden that you can't let anybody fail, which is impossible. <laughs> and then, then controller, the, the slipperiest of the three advice monsters, is that sense of, look, the way you succeed is you never lose control. You've always got the big picture. You're always keeping uh-huh. things safe. But the price you pay is like trying to protect the world against the future, not letting chaos in, not letting the possibilities in. And that sense of trying to control everything when surely we all know that so much of what we do and how we show up in this world is beyond our control, beyond even our influence. So when you get down to it, there's this messy, difficult, complicated, rich, juicy place to go. Look, I'm trying to tame my advice monster. I'm trying to weigh up the prizes and punishments. And once I start seeing the price I pay for letting my advice monster lose, there's the opportunity arises to say, maybe this is how you get to shift your behavior. Mm. You know, when you're talking about particularly the control it and having to let control to do something good, it just made me think sideways into other forms of creativity. I mean, you can't write a good poem by sitting down to, like Mimi Calvati, my poetry teacher, told me one day, well, you know, the trouble with this poem draft, Mark, is that you knew everything that was in it before you sat down to write it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, ouch, yes. (laughs) I mean, isn't it, I mean, part of what I love about this podcast and talking to this audience is, you know this stuff, you know the importance of, of letting in the input that allows you to have the rich output. Yeah. If you if you have an entirely predictable input, you know, your ideas grow predictable and stale and tedious and there's no edge, there's no growth, there's no um, synchronicity, there's no serendipity, you know, there's you've got to let in the world to be, to allow creativity to flourish. And you've got to figure out what you can let go of and what you, what actually you need to hold on to. So you get that as a creative discipline. What I'm saying is it's not enough just to, to bring that way of thinking to the, the brief you have from the client what you've got to do is go, actually, I need to think about this in terms of how I show up and I lead the people who I lead. In yeah, that's great, Michael. And also really, you know, to home in on the dark side of the advice monster, you have this, it was a real, um, I don't know, aha moment. But for me, it really kind of hit me in the solar plexus when I read in the book, it says, the advice monster believes you're better than the other person. Right. In that moment when your advice monster is loose, what you are saying is that other person is not good enough, smart enough, moral enough, experienced enough, fast enough, clever enough, uh, intuitive enough to sort this out. So, by the way, you're just taking it back. So that piece of you kind of one-up you, you one-down them, is a, a, it's a diminishing experience. But it diminishes you too. It doesn't just say to the other person, you know, you're not good enough. It says you don't get to use your uh, vulnerability and your empathy and your humility as, as, a, as a leadership tool. You, you use your, you're using your answers as your armor. Mm. And, you know, in that moment where you let the advice monster loose, and again, just because I know you've heard it, but I'm going to say it again, not to say that no advice, it's not to say never giving advice because there's a place and a time for advice. It's the default response, which is what happens when your advice wants to get loose. You, You diminish yourself and you diminish that other person. You keep both of you stuck in a way of operating that serves neither of you, in certainly in the long term. Okay, so let's say that the penny is dropping for me. I'm really starting to see the downside of this. For me personally, and creatively, as well as for the rest of the team. Can you give me some practical things that I could focus on changing day in, day out with my team? Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer of trying to set up habits because once you get the insight about the price you're paying, now you get to kind of experiment and see, well, let me try some things and see what I could do differently. And, you know, I read this quote, nobody knows where it comes from, but it's a good one. It's like, you don't rise to the challenge, you fall to the level of your mm-hmm. training. 
and what habits are are just a, a commitment to a training and a way of behaving. So I'm going to offer up two specific strategies that might be helpful Great. people. The first is to take ownership of the idea that your job is not to be the provider of fast and possibly wrong solutions, but to be the person who's like, I'm going to make sure that we're working on the real challenge. And I have a very simple four-question script for people. You go, all right, Mark, glad mm-hmm. to have you here. I hear what you're working on. Tell me, what do you think the real challenge is here for you? Mm-hmm. And then you'll come up with an answer. And I'll go, that's brilliant. I love it. What else is a challenge here for you? And then I'll go, and what else is a challenge here for you? And then I'll go, all right, Mark, I get it. So now that you see all of that, What's the real challenge here for you? And what will happen quickly and powerfully is the focus of the conversation will shift and you'll find yourself working on something that is deeper, more useful, um, that helps the other person learn as well as solves the client's challenge that they're facing. So that's the first piece, which is step in and own the position around, look, the way I'm of best service is to make sure that we're working on the right thing. And I'm going to use what's the real challenge here for you to do that. And I just, if I can just pop in and just underline the simplicity of the language you're using here, Michael, you know, and what else? Right. Those three words that pepper the coaching habit. I've, I mean, I've, I've bought the coaching habit for clients and they've come back and said, and what else? How hard does that work for me every day? <laughs> Exactly. It carries a lot. It, it, it does some heavy lifting, that question, if you if you choose to use it. And, and part of what's brilliant about it is people don't even hear it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even they don't even really recognize that you've asked them a question. They just they just what you're doing is inviting them to stay in the place of curiosity and exploration. It's 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 a little piece of magic. It's just lubricating the conversation ever so ever so slightly. Yeah. And, and repeating that, yeah, exactly. that, again, quite a simple question. What's the real challenge for you here? Yeah, you got it. And, and you can ask that again, and it sounds different the second time once you've unpacked some of the what else stuff. So, okay, great. So, and what's your second strategy, Michael? So the second strategy is a self-management tool to help protect against that the seduction of somebody coming and going, hey, Mark, how do I... Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> because when that happens, your advice monster springs oh, yeah. out of the dark going, look, they're, they're literally inviting me in here. It would be irresponsible not to give them the answer because they've asked for my help. And what are you doing? You're saying that I shouldn't be helpful? Mm-hmm. That sounds wrong. So I'm not saying don't be helpful. I am saying can you slow down the rush to offer up solutions and move to action? And this is how you do it. Somebody comes into your office or pings you an email or whatever it might be and goes, hey, how do I mm-hmm. do the thing? You go, hey, that's a good question. And I've got some ideas on how to do the thing. But before I give you my ideas, and I will give them to you, I'm just curious to know what's your first idea on how you tackle that. And they've always got a first idea. They've always had yeah. some initial thought. And after they tell you, you go, brilliant. I love that. That's, that could work. Mm-hmm. What else could you do? You see, I'm using the and yeah. what else question again. And then you go, great, what else could you do? And then you go, great, it's just wonderful. Is there anything else you could do here? And you go until you feel the creativity moment ebbing. And then if it's appropriate and you've got something to add, you go, these are all, you've had great ideas. Let me add an idea or two of my own because I said I would. And you can offer up your thoughts or your opinions on it. What you're doing is you are not leaving them stuck. You have their back. You make sure that you're going, they're going to go out with the best possible solution. You're just inviting them to take the first crack at it. Because honestly, half the time, that they, they, A, they come up with all the ideas that you're going to come up with anyway. <laughs> they come up with better ideas than you're going to come up with. And what it means is when you do add your idea, you're truly adding value because you're offering them the idea that yeah. they didn't have. And it's a reminder that you're like, I've still, you know, look, I may be old, but I've still got some chops here. I've still got some ability to think differently around this. But this is a habit. You know, I, I practiced it for years, so I'm really good at it now. But the, the habit 
this comes from the new habit formula from the coaching habit, which is like when somebody says, hey, Michael, how do I? Instead of being triggered to start providing answers, I go, hey, Mark, great question. I've got some ideas. I'll definitely share them with you. But before I give you my ideas, I'm curious to know what's, what's your first idea and what else and what else. So I think, Mark, if people take those two tactics away, they will find themselves shifting in terms of how much advice that they give. I would really love to hear from any listeners who go away and just experiment with these these two specific techniques. If you can come back and let us know how you get on, I, I think we could get some very interesting stories out of this, Michael. I I would hope so. Um, the, the stories that I hear regularly is, oh, that was easier than I thought. Right. <laughs> and yeah. that's, I love that because what I really want is for people to realize that this approach, and we can call it coaching if you want, um, I tend to call it being more coach-like. Um, it's simple, but it's difficult. It's simple because, of, look, I mean, as Mark said, look how simple these questions are. It's difficult because you are unlearning. Yeah. You're doing a hard change. But it can pay such dividends because not only does this benefit the person that you're leading and influencing, it benefits you. You get to work less hard. You get to have more impact in your work and work less hard at the same time. Sounds good to me. So, Michael, you've you've been really good at underlining the fact that you're not saying giving advice is always a bad idea. And one thing I like about right. the book is towards the end, you offer some really good advice on how to give good advice. So maybe we could wrap up by yeah. you just, well, first of all, saying when is it okay? When is it helpful to give advice? And maybe some tips on how to do it well. Yeah. Well, there's all, there's all sorts of times when it's, it's useful to give advice. Um, the, um, and I guess what I'd invite the people listening into this conversation with me say is like, okay, so work on the assumption that you shouldn't lead with your advice um, and see how that goes, even if it's just one question you ask before you offer up your advice. But when the time comes to give advice, do it well. And the, the tips that I would offer include, look, first of all, do you know, are you sure that you're, you're, offering advice to solve the right, the mm -hmm. right problem? <laughs> or is there any chance that you've just been seduced into thinking that the first challenge is the real challenge? Um, secondly, um, uh, frame your advice as not necessarily being, you know, written in like Moses's 10 stone, mm -hmm. or two stone tablets with the 10 commandments as being absolutely infallible. Um, it's useful to frame it as, let me offer up yeah. a possibility. You know, and I, I do a, this a lot. I'm like, look, I might be wrong. This is my first guess. Um, here's a stab in the dark. Here's an idea that might work for you. Um, there's a lot of framing around the take the advice, but don't take it yeah. as an order. Don't take it as, you know, some sort of infallible truth. Um and then the third thing that I'd offer up is check in and go, was that advice useful or not? Um, I'm a big, this is actually again from the coaching habit, the, the learning question at the end of a conversation, you go, what was most useful or most valuable about this conversation right now? And check in about, did that advice land? Did it seem useful? Uh, maybe even check in how it plays out because that way you get to fine tune your understanding of which advice you offer up lands and which advice doesn't land so much. Great. Thank you, Michael. This has been a really great, a, a, a really good deep dive, I think, into one of the biggest pain points of leadership. And I think if you can really drill down into this, and we spent a lot of time today on, on was it the, the prizes and punishments and drilling down in, into the why right. and the, you know, the cost benefit of this. Um, but actually, that that's the hard bit. But as Michael said, you know, a lot of the techniques, once yeah. you get that, a lot of the techniques in themselves, they're not rocket science. It's, it's just having the discipline. Well, coaching is easy. I love this. Really, coaching, I mean, pretty much in, in, in the coaching habit, and then I do a recap in the, the advice trap. I'm like, look, yeah. seven good questions. <laughs> <laughs> and and ask, ask them often. You're, you're, you're going to be a legend. It's just going, what do you need to do to shift your behavior that you can actually put that into action? Great. Well, that sounds like a really good cue for your creative challenge, Michael. So this, obviously, this is a coaching mm. conversation. 
And like all coaching conversations and like all interviews on the 21st century creative, we end up with a creative challenge that my guest sets you, the listener, which is something that you can go away and do that will help you get more of the the prizes, the benefits of the theme of the interview. And it's something that you can do within, or at least get started on within seven days of listening to this conversation. So, Michael, what challenge do you have for us today? Well, I've got a, a two-part challenge. The first is simply start noticing your advice monster. Mm. <laughs> Notice how quickly it is triggered when somebody starts telling you stuff. You know, it can be at home with your with your partner, with your kids. It can be at work with your team. It can be at work with your boss. It can be talking to a client. But just start noticing how quickly you want to leap in and offer up the idea and offer up the solution. So that's that's the first part. That's a because awareness is the start of it all. If you want to go a little deeper, then the question I have for you is: so of those three different personas, tell it, or save it, or control it, which advice monster feels most most real to you, most loud to you? Which one is the one that shows up most often in the way that you behave? Are you trying to be the person who has the answer every time? Are you feeling the weight of I've got to, I'm responsible for everybody, I've got to save everybody? Or are you like, I really just don't want like it when I lose control of a conversation or a situation or a meeting or the perspective of what's going on? What do you think your deeper drive uh, drive is? And if you're curious, um, at theadvicetrap.com, we actually have a questionnaire that allows you, it's a quick questionnaire. It's not you know, rigorously, brilliantly scientific, but it will give you a sense of where your bias might be towards which advice monster might be your advice monster. So if you're curious about checking that out, you can go to theadvicetrap.com. Brilliant. Thank you, Michael. And I really would invite you to also check out the book, The Advice Trap. If you've read The Coaching Habit, then you should need no persuasion to do that. Um, They make a great pair, the two books together. And I think going back on the topic of, you know, earlier on the question around awareness i think this is a great book to read firstly if you're aware that you give too much advice as a leader and probably secondly even more so if you really think if you really think you don't do this (laughs) then go and have a look at the book right exactly it's perfect i love that Okay. That's a perfect sound effect, Mark. Whether you think you do or think you don't give too much advice, this is the book you've been looking for. Exactly. Well, feel free to use that in the campaign. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So, Michael, where, where should people go? Theadvicetrap.com, obviously go to, to the bookshops to get the book. Anywhere else that they can go online to engage with you and your ideas and get some help for their organization? Yeah. You know, I, I'm... I am coming out of the shadows from social media, so I'm on LinkedIn and uh, I'm starting to post a series, a daily series called My Best Question. There's a short video mostly around, look, here's a really good question that you might want to use and you might want to pick up and add to your repertoire. So you can find me on LinkedIn at Michael Bungay-Stania. You can find me on Instagram at MBS underscore works, MBS underscore works. And um, actually, the the overall website is mbs.works. So feel free to check out any of those. Great. And as usual, I will make sure these are all in the show notes for you. Uh, Thank you, Mark. Okay, Michael, thank you. As always, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, I learn something new every time, and I know my listeners do. So thank you so much for being with us today. Mark, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm, I do feel, I mean, we've known each other for 10, 15 years now, quite a long time. So it's great to have that connection and have these conversations. You have been listening to the 21st Century Creative. Hosted by Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's show, as well as all the backlist episodes of the podcast, at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, then I hope you'll subscribe in iTunes, and I'm always grateful for your reviews, and also for sharing the show with your friends and followers. If you'd like my help applying the ideas in the show to your own situation, you're welcome to join us 
in the 21st Century Creative Patreon group at patreon.com slash the 21st Century Creative. And if you are an experienced creative and you're curious about getting my help as a private coaching client, then the first step is to go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching questions and answer the questions on that page. And I'll be in touch with you as soon as I've reviewed your answers. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.